Hey there, and welcome to episode 27 of We Can Do This. I'm really thrilled for our episode today with two team members from Y-Labs. Y-Labs was founded at the Harvard Innovation Lab in 2016 in response to a need for innovation in partnership with youth. What I love about Y-Labs is they are a diverse team, physicians, designers, economists, developers, public health professionals, educators, who are focused on implementing youth-driven solutions to some of the largest problems that are facing young people's health and economic opportunity all around the world. And they're a big proponent of human-centered design, which is a empathetic approach to problem solving. And for those of our listeners that are familiar with design, some of these topics may be familiar and some of the even language that they're using to address real problems around the world are some of the ways that we approach problems in businesses and organizations and really at the heart of it is creating solutions that are addressing problems that people actually have and feel and the solutions aren't just a solution but are the best possible solution that we feel like we can implement so this episode, we'll be talking with Joseph Kwasiga, who is a UX designer from Uganda with a passion for all things creative. He has experience in UI design, UX design, content strategy, product management, online media coordination, and digital marketing and analytics. He attended the School of Visual Arts and holds a master's degree in design for social innovation. And also joining us, we have Shola Ola Bodedada, who is a behavioral scientist that promotes healthy behavior chains among youth by connecting research, synthesizing information, and fostering relationships with key stakeholders. As with a detective, she collects the evidence and explores all possibilities to decipher the mystery of how young people make decisions about their health. Shola is passionate about this type of work because she wants to participate in dramatically improving the health and economic success of young people who lack access to the resources to live a fulfilling life. Her specialties include applied research methodologies, program evaluation, the application of behavior change design to digital health products, and stakeholder engagement. Shola holds a MS and PhD in community psychology from North Carolina State University. So really excited about this episode. I think this is going to be something that may be new for some people in the audience in a different approach that has real takeaways that you can apply into your own research, into your own work as you're seeking to create solutions to the problems that are in your own industry or area of expertise or interest. So let's jump in and have this conversation with Joseph and Shola from Labs. All right. Hey there, and welcome to this episode of We Can Do This. I'm really excited here today to be talking with Shola and Joe from Y-Labs. Both of you, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for both of you to, to be here. We've been talking and I've been in conversation with some of your colleagues at Y-Labs and just been able to learn about your organization, the work that you do, and, and some of the, the methodology in, in practice and how you approach solving uh, important and pressing problems. And so I'm really pumped that both of you are joining me today. If both of you just want to briefly just say hello and introduce yourself and share maybe your role at Y-Labs. So I'm Joseph Quisiga, go by Joe. I'm a senior product designer at Y-Labs. 
And yeah, I've been with them for a couple of years now, almost almost three, working on a lot of projects ranging from mental health to menstruation health and soon abortion access. And I am Shola Olabode Dada, and I am a senior behavioral scientist at Y Labs based in Rwanda. And I have worked there probably almost three years now as well. And my background is in psychology. Awesome. So both of you have been, it seems like, around the organization for about three years, and that puts you right before the pandemic, it sounds like. Yes. I mean, what was that like, jumping in to a new role at a new organization right before the world experienced some you know, significant change? It was exciting at first. <laughs> I thought it was great. I actually did a project in Rwanda initially in 2019 and then was set to go to Kenya for another project focused on HIV AIDS and that was interrupted. Yeah, and I was living in Kampala and flying back and forth between Kampala and Rwanda for uh, one of our projects um, on uh, adolescent sexual reproductive health. And every two weeks we back and forth until COVID hit. And then it was not so, <laughs> not so chill, but we're doing pretty well with remote. And so far we still get to put out really good work. Yeah. I've been, uh, you know, really intrigued by the distributed nature of your, your team, because as we'll learn, you know, as we talk, you know, your organization is, you know, really a diverse group of, you know, industries represented and expertise and backgrounds. But am I correct that you were fairly distributed and remote prior to the, the pandemic? Yes. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, you were able to roll with some of the punches a little bit differently than others. It became more extreme, yeah. <laughs> way more extreme. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's jump in. I mean, first, just hearing that you both joined around the same time, you know, on, on your team, you know, what was it about Y Labs that made this, you know, interesting role to kind of transition into in a, you know, an organization that really piqued your interest? I think for me, it was interesting because of my background and essentially like how my upbringing was. So I'm a UX designer from Uganda. And I'm really lucky to have had a very worldly upbringing in that sense. So a lot of formative years were spent in like low and middle income countries. So you, I was never quite apart from the disparities in there. And eventually you really start to notice a lot of the, the work being done in the world doesn't really help the people that need it the most. So my father, for example, he worked with the African Development Bank. He was very passionate about creating positive impact for underserved communities. I think that rubbed off on me as I now operate in the intersection of design and development. And I wanted to apply myself to things that had real impact. And I still wanted to have the freedom to be creative. I felt that that creativity and innovation is stifled a bit in large bureaucratic organizations. So I couldn't be happy or useful in that kind of context. So Y Labs was a, a great fit. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it. Sholo, what about you? As so many other young children, I wanted to be a doctor when I was younger, and I didn't know it at the time, but I always had an interest in the mind, and I didn't know that I wanted to actually be a psychologist, and I serendipitously came upon psychology and just understanding the mind and how it affects behavior. I then had an interest in film. During my graduate program, I was watching, I went to this film festival and watched this documentary called Born into Brothels, which is about this woman who goes into the brothels of Calcutta, India, and she teaches the young children 
photography as a way to get them out of their circumstances. And that was very inspiring to me, like learning a new skill set, also encouraging and promoting behavior change to promote just healthier living and more fulfilling life. And that kind of led me down the path of behavior change and to Y-Labs. So for those of us who aren't familiar with Y-Labs, do you want to, or maybe one of you just share briefly, what is Y-Labs? What kind of work do you do? And what is unique about your approach? So my understanding and my take on Y-Labs is that we are a global health research organization and we do design as well as research. We typically use different methodologies, but it could be mixed methodology using traditional research, qualitative and quantitative, but we often use human-centered design. And human-centered design is this creative problem-solving approach that we use to focus on the beneficiaries of an intervention. And we center the needs of those people who are benefiting from the intervention, or whether that be a service or product. And they are centered and also we engage them in the process. So engage them in the research process in addressing their needs. So what is it about this approach that you've noticed unique or better results through you know, really embedding yourself into the group that you're looking to serve and, and learn about their needs. So essentially, like HCD is a problem solving approach, right? So it looks to address core needs people are having. So that can be other from the products, the services, the systems, um, experiences, anything like that. So it's an empathetic process. So you're really focused and you pay attention to people's perspectives in order to uncover their, their actual pain points. So the process encourages you to immerse yourself in the context and the communities that are in need of or that you're solving for in order to truly understand how they're affected by your designs. And that immersion process helps you better identify and define the problems. All too often, we don't quite have the right idea in a lot of intervention out there what the actual problem is. So without that real perspective in that frame of mind, a lot of things fail in terms of like their intended outcome. So once you define the problem, you can then actually start to address it through ideation and you know a lot of iteration as you go so prototyping and testing ideas and you keep cycling back in order to apply your learnings and all this time you're involving the stakeholders that you have identified and at Y labs we have a youth-driven design approach so everything we do directly involves and includes youth in our processes so we research we co-design we test and we iterate with the youths all while evolving and deepening our understanding of the factors youth base in the ecosystems they inhabit. Yeah, I love that you shared, I mean, that word empathy, you know, really stands out to me as, you know, having this, you know, really getting in, in the trenches with with people and, and hearing about and experiencing, you know, what they're going through and the problems. You know, some things are defined really well by what they're not. Like many of us have been on the receiving end of maybe a solution that was, seems like it was designed without even thinking about them. And not only can it be less effective, but it can be harmful, right? So there's a lot of good resulting from this approach. Do you want to share with us about maybe a project, something that can help us maybe illustrate this approach and how you've taken this approach with a specific project? Yeah. So we've which is we kind of wrapped up a pilot of a project we call the Cocoon Project. So for some context, the Cocoon Project is located, uh, is based in the Bidi Bidi Refugee Settlement, and that's located in the West Nile region of Uganda. And the settlement is primarily occupied by South Sudanese refugees. And it's one of the largest refugee settlements in the world, currently home to like over 240,000 refugees. 
So if the project was addressing limited access to sanitary pads, washing supplies, and safe private spaces for menstrual health and in humanitarian crises. So together with young menstruators, while I've sought to design safe spaces and services for managing menstruation amongst displaced populations. And to address some of the issues faced by menstruators, while I was piloted the Cocoon Mini, which is a semi-permanent latrine and bathing area that's built within household compounds and the settlement and is accessible to families in the surrounding area. And it's estimated that the project was able to serve roughly around 300 menstruators throughout its three-month pilot. So these like units we built out, they were modifications of bath shelters and featuring, you know, things like high privacy walls and locking doors and like then on latrines and dedicated disposal areas for sanitary products were added to the space because they were lacking the area, disposal bins. So a bunch of like tools that would either help administrators easily access the sites and improve their safety, improve their privacy, or just give them the actual tools they need to actually help the rightfully manage their administration. So in this whole process, you know, again, I'm speaking to the pilot, but this whole process was gleaned from countless like rounds of iteration and research, all the while involving youths from beginning to end. So the ideas we were allowed to, to iterate on and develop were the ideas given to us from the young women and girls in the settlement, but also, you know, still involving men too, because again, they're part of that ecosystem. And in order to get an effective solution, you have to also address the, the barriers or the potential people that can influence those solutions or those outcomes. At the end of the pilot, you know, we ended up constructing 20 of these mini units and some were constructed for exclusive use by menstruators and some were kind of like made public to just general pastor buyers, but still for um, young women and girls. And since the creation of the mini spaces, 47% of the menstruators reported that they were having more discussions about menstrual health with boys and men in their community, considering that's a very taboo topic. It's kind of hard for young women or young girls to talk about these things because it kind of can make them a target or um, it's highly shunned upon. And we also spoke with like about 109 menstruators at the end of the pilot and 95% of them were saying that the cocoon mini had made menstruational health management easier for them. So just the addition of these spaces and like the improvement of infrastructure helps people just like manage themselves better, but also um, it had ripple effects on their actual day-to-day. So it increased water access in the bitty bitty settlement. Like they're very strapped for resources there. Water is uh, one of the resources that is in high demand, but isn't really easy to come by. There's a few access points. So bringing these water points attached to the Kakuminis, not only did it help them in terms of accessing water, but also gave them more means in which they can help themselves manage administration and also save time. Walking 10 kilometers to a water point and not getting anything, only to get to a pump and realize the water's not flowing. You know, that's, that's a large amount of time taken up for young girls that could be otherwise be in school or having other activities. So yeah, many ways that there was ripple positive from the, from the, the work, able to bathe any time of day, something that, you know, we take for granted every day, but um, having agency over when you can um, go to the bathroom, uh, clean yourself, clean your products, experiencing more mobility again, because like you have the option to visit a space that is made for you and not have to wait or search out a place where you can discreetly manage your mental health. And as a proof of concept, that's like the Kaku minis were really affordable, especially in the, uh, the context of the humanitarian, uh, humanitarian crises, because 
we see a lot of big projects that kind of are pushed for, I guess, like helping or managing refugees issues. So we kind of put forward a, a low cost alternative that involved the communities directly and was easy to build rapidly within three weeks. So in terms of just scalability, having that proof of concept that you don't need to have a lot of money, you don't need to have a lot of resources to be able to have means in which you can get young menstruators, young girls, what they need. And I think one of the really big parts is that at the end of the three-month pilot, there were no safety incidents involving the minis or young girls. And again, this is attributed to the fact that there was obviously the safety components built into the actual facilities, but also Wildlands has a very rigorous like, safeguarding and protection policy that you know we kind of take into the work quite seriously. And a lot of those backing ethos spreads into the work and rightfully so. And the ability to have a very stigmatized topic and a very um, hard topic for not just young women and girls to talk about, but for just general people in the, in the context to talk about and there be you no know, safety incident involved with it. And for that to be an improvement for these young girls was definitely a massive win for the project. Wow. I mean, first, what incredible work. It's so interesting hearing kind of like the start to finish of exploring a, a problem and, you know, really how you're using this process and, you know, results that come from it. The thing that I found, you know, most striking really is how you you probably go into this problem assuming, making assumptions and hearing you share about this, you're, you're hearing about how interconnected some of these issues are and addressing one problem might be addressing several. And you might not know that unless you really embed yourself in the community that you're serving. One of the things that you said towards the end is you're able to kind of conduct this experiment over a short amount of time with relatively little resources compared to if you were to make a full commitment and kind of jump in and figure out, you know, before testing. I'm curious, um, and I think this would be beneficial to our listeners, is how do you, you know, in your process of coming up with this test or this experiment or this phase, how do you really define like and set some parameters around what does a test look like and what is the extent that you want to take your experiment? So again, this is done over like a, you know, quite a few rounds of research and prototyping. But um, essentially what we're looking for when we start out is that our research phase A is, you know, set out to first answer or, you know, test our assumptions, because it is true. We are going with a lot of assumptions. We want to hear directly from beneficiaries themselves about if what we think is true. If not, let's explore what is actually going on here. So from that, we're able to start prototyping, you know, rapid prototypes, like something very, you know, very low budget, low scale, simplest paper prototypes if you want to. And just to test ideas, to get quick ideas out there and see what sticks and having the people you're designing for inform what they want. And from there, we can go into higher fidelity prototypes where um, we did some about three months of testing for our live prototypes. So things people could actually interact with that we didn't have to commit fully to. And there was a range of ideas that we had like set out for this project in specific that were pertaining to things beyond just menstrual health. We were looking at aspects on financial inclusion, income generation, storytelling sessions for the community members and dealing with education too. So there's a lot of like very desired possible outcomes for this, but it comes down to after the end of this, like, you know, we do speak to the, the community members and the beneficiaries as we go along, but it really comes down to when you're working for either it being a bid or a, a project, you also have to think about in just on more practical scales, the feasibility, the scalability, the impact potential and desirability. So 
it could be highly desired by everyone in the community, but it might not be as feasible in the long term, or it might not have as much impact as something else could. So you really do have to, we make a bit, a bit of a measuring metric for ourselves in this, and we kind of determined which was the best one to move forward with. But ideally, all those things that are desired that were put forward have merit in what could be applied to these projects or these areas down the line. But essentially, yeah, that's how the, the testing went. And the pilot itself was now the culmination of all that knowledge for the past two years of active study, research, and iteration and testing into this three-month boil down of we're going to put this one idea out there. We're going to make sure that we've kind of checked our T's and crossed our I's. And from that, we still got feedback, and which is great that, you know, it's, it's never really a, an end cutoff point to the design process. You just have to be open to once something is over, still get that feedback and assume that there's always more you could do. But yeah, that three months was essentially the culmination of two years work. Wow. Shola, I understand your, I mean, your background is really in the psychology and understanding the behaviors that, you know, the things to look at to understand your results and things. Given a project like this, like what kind of things are you looking for and how are you determining what are the kind of key behaviors that you're looking to shine a spotlight on to understand, you know, are these, is what you're experimenting on, you know, are we seeing some indicators of positive metrics here? Anytime I go into any project, I look to see what's the behavior we're trying to change because most products or services is trying to change some kind of behavior. And so with this particular project, I, I did a little consulting on it and just trying to understand what, what we want the young girls to engage in. And in this case, we wanted to increase menstrual health and menstrual hygiene, increase their self-efficacy, their confidence in managing their own menstrual health. And just trying to identify those barriers and figuring out what is preventing them from doing that and, and making sure our prototypes and any type of intervention we develop addresses those barriers. And something could be desirable, but if it's not addressing the barriers, then we have to try to iterate on something to make sure it's addressing the barriers. I mean, this whole process is super interesting. And it's funny coming from like my background is more in like the marketing and, and design branding aspects. And hearing some of these, the shared language, you know, I think could be intriguing for people that maybe, you know, look to solve programs with design interfaces and things and see how these can be played out in the real world. I'm intrigued also, and I'm, I'm curious what you both would have to say with other people that are looking to address, you know, really meaningful problems, whether they are in a, a nonprofit organization themselves, you know, they're engaging in some other work. And many of us aren't, you know, researchers by trade don't have the expertise in conducting this real strong qualitative research and, you know, using methods that they may have studied. But what are some tips and maybe takeaways that someone could take if they want to uh, take a more empathetic approach to addressing the problems that they're looking to solve? Well, all of the type of research that I've been involved in over my career has always been participatory and participatory with those who are benefiting from the intervention or from the service. And so anything that I would suggest would involve engaging and working with in partnership with those who are benefiting from the design or the service that you're providing. Because those who, who best to give that kind of input and to kind of inform what happens in that intervention but the people who are going to be served by it. And then also one of the things that we're trying to do at Y Labs that we've already kind of gotten the ball rolling is to address quality as it relates to human-centered design. 
apply to adolescent sexual reproductive health. So identifying what quality looks like in this space of HCD and public health. And that is something that we are putting out there in the world so that people can refer to and see, okay, this is a good standard to implement when we're doing this type of work, if they are using HCD or just engaging with the community to implement some kind of project. That's really good. Joe, any, any other thoughts? Yeah, I would say like for, you know, folks like me that are, you know, in the design space, especially when you're going to be working anything in the development sector, touching people's lives in a more intimate like, manner is just to check your assumptions. Like there's all too often when designers or anyone's presented with a, a problem, our minds start jumping to solutions, whether they be like, you know, very out there in terms of like, I'm going to, I could make this and this and this, I'm going to sketch it all down here. I, I have all these ideas, but those are your ideas. The people that have the answers have their own ideas. And really to like, just be sure that you're always checking that these are your assumptions. You can test them, but you really have to be in a position where you're ready to listen and do the harder part, which is work towards the harder solutions. Yeah. We're, we're very wired to kind of jump in and try to solve things. I, I learned that through my wife, <laughs> always trying to solve her problems. She's like, just listen. Well, I think there's a lot of ways that people can kind of benefit from even taking a stab at some of these approaches, you know, listen to others and, you know, really responsibly taking that approach. One thing, if I was to add, I, I learned so much just from being on your website. I love the way that you've taken your case studies and the projects that you've worked on and really laid them in this kind of problem solution format and kind of next steps. And I think just by looking at an organization like yours, seeing the projects that you're working on and kind of the philosophy behind how you've gone step by step is for me personally, it was just such a learning experience because you can look at what you're doing and emulate some aspects of even, you know, like the research project, so like you were talking about and this design process and begin to implement it. And it sounds like something that itself, you know, you iterate on over time. And as you learn more things about each project, you can apply those learnings to the next. And I think that's really, really crucial for, for anyone to, to take those insights and, and move in and apply some change to ongoing work. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today? I mean, aside from the framework Shola gave a shout out to, I will say that we put out our annual report as someone that has read, I think, a total of three annual reports in my life. This was by far my favorite yeah. one to read. A lot of talented designers and great minds were on this. And personally, I think it's a cut above. And lastly, I spoke about the Cocoon Project, right? And I summarized if that could even be um, believed there. But we have so much documentation on the processes, but also the outcomes and just the story behind this whole project. So all these assets on the projects live on our website. And, you know, I would definitely encourage if you were interested in either the methodology or just the outcomes, or if you want to learn more about menstrual health or just work in emergency contexts, definitely check out the projects online or, you know, feel free to email either of us to get more information about those things. Awesome. Yeah. Your website is such a fantastic resource. And I think even how you're modeling, just showing your work too, you know, so people can see, you know, the work that you're doing and, kind of follow you over time and, and see the how you engage in the meaningful work. Joel, any other thoughts yourself? Just check out our website, ylabsglobal.org. And we're on Twitter at ylabsglobal. 
on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, you know, all the socials. And you can learn about the quality and standards framework that I mentioned, as well as the Cocoon project that Joe mentioned, and all of the other projects that we have ongoing or in the past that completed. Fantastic. I'll definitely link up the YLabs website and your social media accounts, as well as a few of the relevant projects as they're on your website. I'll, I'll include those in the show notes for those listening. Definitely take a look. Like I said, you're, you're amazing storytellers and the work that you share is, is, is so good. Thank you for both of you for sharing some time today amidst you know the really important work you're doing. It was great talking with both of you. And again, like I said, this is like the second time we've had two guests on. So it's so interesting hearing from, from both of you. So thanks for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Awesome conversation. Like I said, YLabs is really inspiring in, the, in their approach and the really innovative take that they take on creating solutions to these problems that face youth all around the world. Human-centered design may be a new topic for some of us, and there's a lot of great resources on this topic online and great books. So I'll reference a few of those in the show notes. If you want to look a bit more in the human-centered design, you'll also find links to YLab's website, where they have a, almost two dozen projects on their website where you can look at the problem, the research that they conducted, the ways that they involved youth into the decision-making process and into their research, and then ultimately how they either implemented solutions or identified the best next step towards solutions to that problem. So you can jump onto their website and look at the projects that they mentioned, as well as other ones in Rwanda, El Salvador, Kenya, India, Nigeria. So thanks again for listening to the podcast. I'm really excited about some episodes that we have coming up. So definitely, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe in your favorite player. You can also leave a review in iTunes or share this episode with someone that you think would benefit from it. So thanks again, and I'll see you next week. 